0: The scripture reading today is 15:22 through the end of 16. It's on page 68 of the Black Pew Bible in front of you. Then Moses made Israel then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven, for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud and the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them at twilight, you shall eat me. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone, there was on the face of the wilderness, a fine flake like thing made flake like thing finest frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more and some less. Some more and some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, and each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not sink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. And today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to, to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to to the border of the land of Canaan, and Omer is a tenth part of an ephah.
1: Exodus, we're going to look at 15 verses 22 through the end of 16. Uh, Titled this message, A Fickle Heart, Get Sweet Water, Quail, and Manna. It has been a, a heavy week this week, to say the least. We've been heavy on our hearts as Kim Goliath lost her father and tomorrow we'll love on that family and to celebrate Mr. Allen's life and have an opportunity to preach the gospel um, and serve that family tomorrow we have several that are sick Um, Mr. Harold is um, doing um, better um, holding his own Uh, he had a liver transplant Jeff's father, and um, we're thankful for that. Terry Rose is is home, and he's getting better. Uh, Alan Barganier, Amy's stepfather, is not doing real well uh, these last few days. So we want to pray for these. And like I said, it's a heavy week, and we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and we want to serve people well and pray for folks well. So um, let's pray, and we'll get started. We do, Lord. Recognize that you are a mighty warrior and you have by your grace and mercy just as you led the israelites out of egypt gave them victory you saved their lives from the hand of the egyptians you have saved us as well we have been redeemed not by the passover lamb of Egypt, but by Jesus, the one true Passover lamb. Because of his blood shed and his body broken, we have the victory. And as Phil mentioned, it's because of what Christ has done we stand before you righteous, like him, positionally. We're thankful for that. Because of that, we can we can approach you boldly and we can make petitions boldly. And, and we do ask for grace for this sweet family that's lost a loved one. We ask for mercy and grace and help. And for those that are sick, we ask that you would be gracious to them as well. Father, you want us to draw near to you and cast our cares on you and so we do that this morning thankful that you hear us and that you care for us and father we want to yield to you your sovereignty and we want to trust you it's like the the daddy who had the boy that was possessed by a demon and he asked jesus for help and he told jesus that he he believed he asked the lord to help his unbelief we ask the same today you would help us to trust you help us to be faithful to you and father as we study we've sang truth and we're going to study truth and we ask you would help us to help me to preach it and teach it clearly and help us to leave here empowered willing to obey Father, we're thankful for all that you brought to us. We know that some of our own folks are out traveling and some are sick. We know we have some folks who are visiting with us that are are new and Lord, they're, they're coming here today not because they have it all together but because they're needy just like the rest of us. And we ask that you would meet their needs. And I know some are looking for church homes and trying to find a place where their family can serve and be served. And we ask that you would direct their steps to where you would have them to be. And if Father, if you want them to be here at Beaver, that you would use this morning's time together as a means to that end, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. We are in the middle of this Exodus event. God has done a, a miraculous work, redeeming the Israelites, and and we could summarize the experience of Israel this way, they were living in slavery for 400 years in Egypt, but then they trusted in God who provided a way for them to be rescued, passed over. They took that Passover lamb and they took the blood from that Passover lamb after they sacrificed it and put it over the doorframe of their homes and the Lord passed over. And so as a result of that... They were able to pass from death to life not just in the passover but also in the in the passing through the red sea and they sang this song as we just sang the song of moses they sang a song a song of salvation and they're embarking on now we're at a point in the the story of exodus where they're embarking on this pilgrimage where they're headed not just wandering aimlessly but they're heading towards the promised land because that is what god had promised Abraham. He would give them a land, the land of Canaan. And so they're on this long pilgrimage toward the promised land, and they're going to live not however they want to, but they're going to live according to God's law because soon they're going to get to Sinai, and God's going to give them his commandment, his standard for their lives. And so they're going to be living, attempting to live according to God's law, and finally they're going to reach the promised land. That's the the experience of Israel. That's where they're headed. And so several things from our text today. First thing I want us to point out from our text is experiencing difficulties in the wilderness leads to faith failure in the lives of the Israelites. The singing has just finished. They pass through the Red Sea, and as the, the, the army of Egypt is washed up face down in the water, washed up on the shore, they're singing victory and praises to God, the song of Moses. And they take off into the desert, headed towards the promised land, being led by the Lord, right? The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, being led by the Lord through the desert, and it's dry and it's difficult. They had some water, but it soon ran out. They were three days into their trip, and they see an oasis. They see a place, a source of water. And so, of course, rushing to the water, they found it wasn't potable. What's it mean not to have potable water? Lily Kate, do you know what that means? If it's potable water, you have, if you're RVers, some of you are RVers. Who's RVers in here? Where's Andrew and Sylvia? Are they in here somewhere? They are RV people. Um, You have potable water. We got some pictures of that, I think, don't we? No, potable water means it's drinkable. Because you have potable water and then you have black water. Don't drink the black water. Right? The black water is the, Wastewater from your RV—it's got a holding tank, it's got black water. It also has a tank that's very clean and and it's potable. And some people I hear—I'm not an RV'er, but I hear it's it's real easy to get that mixed up and to make a mistake and plug up the wrong hose to the wrong tank, and that would be bad news for you and your family. But it, it, you have this—you have these dumps. So you see you have that that red x going through this is a not potable water this is a dump station and so you you have to figure that out when you get your rv and i hear people make that mistake often but you have the water here at at mara is what eventually became known as is not potable it's not drinkable it's very bitter think about it you're a, a family maybe you're a mother and you have very little water and after three days you're bone dry Which means your little ones don't have water and we can do without but when our little ones do without well that's a different story altogether isn't it and we can understand this this response of the israelites i mean on one hand we get it you've got your family you're being led by the lord and you don't have anything to drink and it's three days into it and you're thirsty and you have little ones we get it you're freaking out a little bit right but then on the other hand We also have to remember what they've just gone through. When the Lord poured out 10 plagues, 10 judgments on the Egyptians, and the Israelites were spared from all of those things. They're living in Goshen, living high on the hog, while the Egyptians are suffering plague after plague after plague. God had been gracious to them and gave them a way for him to pass over their homes. If they would trust him and put the Passover lamb... The blood of the Passover lamb over the door frames, and he passed over their homes, and he poured out judgment upon the firstborn of of the Egyptians, so much so that every home there was weeping and there was grieving. But the Israelites were passed over, and they were rescued. They were taken through the Red Sea on dry ground as the Egyptian army is approaching them, and God allowed those waters to come crashing down over the Egyptian army, and they all perished there in the waters. This is what they've just seen. And this is days after that. So on one hand, we understand the the concern. But on the other hand, come on, people. What is God? His omnipotent hand has been made very clear and evident as he's, he's been gracious to you and saved you time and time again. He's given this great deliverance that you've never seen and never will see again. Being delivered from the Egyptian army how quickly they forget how merciful has been to them. And they grumble, and they don't grumble just once. Here in verse 24, and the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? They grumble again. After the water was made sweet, Moses took a, a piece of wood, a log, and threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And some people try to rationalize that and say, well, this is a natural thing, something you put a natural type of wood into the water and make bitter water, non-potable water, potable. But that, it, that's not what happened. Miraculous hand of God, miraculously, he turned the water, bitter, non-potable water, into potable water. They could drink it. So they drink it, and then they set out towards sin. And they're just a short time into into the desert again, and they, what do they do? They grumble again. Look at Verse sixteen, uh, chapter 16, verse 2, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the, in the land of Egypt when we, set out by the, when we sat by the meat pots and ate the bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they're hungry. And what do they do? They grumble because of lack of food. And he tells them that grumbling is not against me. Look at verse 8. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you the, in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you're grumbling against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And so they're grumbling against the Lord. They're not grumbling against Moses. He said, you're upset with me. You don't have a right to be upset with me. You're really upset with the Lord. You need to take that up with God. And that's what Moses does. He intercedes for the people like he does time and time again. And he prays and the Lord delivers them. First, it turns the bitter water and mar sweet. And then he provides quail for them. He provides meat for them. And it, that happens twice. It happens here. In the evening, you're going to have quail. And people try to rationalize that. Well, there was a wind blowing up. Well, it happened in Numbers chapter 11. But here, it's like, how is it that quail, I don't know. I have quail. We raise quail. They're just not, you know, how do you catch those things? How does this happen? You know, it's a, a difficult process. Well, the Lord just miraculously gave them food to eat. And then not only that, he, he gives them bread called manna to eat. Not just one day, but for every day for 40 years. And so we see this grumbling. We grumble at Mara, and we grumble in the desert of sin. And then uh, chapter 17, verse 3 Look, look there real quickly. After they left the, the receiving the quail, after they received the manna, they're going to continue through the desert. But the people thirsted there for water. They again get thirsty. And there the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And we're going to, Morgan's going to be preaching in a couple weeks when we return to this text after Niku leaves. He'll preach and teach that text. Well, we see that grumbling again. Grumble, 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 and grumble. That's what they do. It's it's like the heathen child who uh, you're taking to to Walt Disney World. You know, it only costs for a family of four or five folks to go to Disney World, it only costs like $14,000, right? And so you're driving to Disney World, and it's like the heathen child that you know takes after your spouse because they're constantly complaining how much further? Will we ever get out of this car? You know, and you're, you're playing and you done bought tickets and you're spending all this money and you've saved up and, and you're fixing to spend all this money and you have this kid that just keeps whining and complaining. It's kind of like the Israelites. The Lord has been so good and so good and so merciful and so gracious and yet they grumble and grumble and grumble. A couple of things about grumblers. How, raise your hand if you don't grumble. Anybody? You takers? Yeah. Yeah, bow. Come on. <laughs> what a, Let's talk about grumbling for a second. I mean, we, we see it here in the text. Um, look at verse, verse uh, 2 and 3 of chapter 16 again. Let, let me make, make something uh, clear about grumblers. Grumblers don't perceive things rightly. And that's what the Israelites are doing. They're grumbling, and we have a tendency to do that. And grumbling is, is another way of grumbling and saying getting in the flesh. It's carnal nature. It's in the flesh. It's what we did when we're lost. It's what lost people do. They're really good at it. And that's what we do when we're in the flesh. And that's our default mode is we grumble. We're not thankful. We don't have thankful hearts. That's not our default mode. Our default mode, our carnal nature, is we grumble and complain. Right? That's that's who we are. But as God redeems us and gives us the Holy Spirit we begin to see things, we're able to see things rightly, have the right perspective. And we, as we go through struggle and trial and difficulty and hurt and sorrow and pain and terrible things, we can still have a thankful heart and a right perspective. But it's hard to do. Even as believers, what do we do? We're constantly falling back. As, as Phil mentioned, we have this flesh. We're, we're, as long as we have the flesh, we're still gonna fall back into sin, aren't we? We're not who we ought to be, but I'm thankful we're not who we're going to be either. One day, we won't have this flesh, we won't sin, we won't grumble, we won't complain, we'll have the right attitude all the time. I'm looking so forward to that. But what do grumblers do? Grumblers, they don't perceive things rightly. Look at verse 3. This is insane. The people of Israel said to Moses and Aaron... Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For he have brought us out of, into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now think about what, what what's happened. Think about what's happened in Egypt. They're being mistreated for 400 years. They're in slavery. They're being first of all, their children were killed. Pharaoh had the boys taken and thrown into the Nile. They're mistreated. They're beaten. It got to where when Moses made the plea to Pharaoh for him to let God's people go, what did Pharaoh do? Took away the straw. When I provide you straw, now you have the same quota, but you have to gather your own straw. And so when you didn't when they didn't meet the quota, they were beaten. Sounds like a wonderful place to raise a family, right? What are they thinking? What happens when you go to grumbling? What's happened? Your mind, you're not thinking rightly about things. You're not seeing things rightly. You're not seeing things the way God sees things. And that's what's happening here. I mean, think about your boss asks you to do something, a little bit extra work. You're going to stay after work a little longer to get something done. You're not getting paid for and you, what do we do? We have a tendency to what? Sometimes if we're not If we're not in the spirit, if we're in the flesh, what do we do? We complain, why do I have to do it? What about so-and-so? This isn't fair, da 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 It's real easy to get in the grumbling mode. And and sometimes that happens because your boss knows you're a hard worker, James. You're going to do the work and you're going to do it rightly. And you're not going to give a bunch of lip. So what do they do? Your boss asks you to do the work. Or maybe you're a, a high school kid, you know, high school, our children, we want, we want to give our children uh, everything that we can. We want to bless them, you know, we want to make life easy for them. And so we get them a car and sometimes the car they drive is better than the car we drive. I'm not sure why, I'm not sure that's a right thing to do or helpful, but they have a better vehicle than we drive. And then we ask them to do something. Hey, can you pick up your sister, your, your brother's sister uh, or your sister at the, the school? And all of a sudden they're like, well, I got all this other things. And all of a sudden, this teenager who's been given everything, a car, insurance, money, provision, all of a sudden, their time is a lot more valuable than their parents' time. The parents who work hard and give you everything, all of a sudden, you're, for some reason, are, we get, it's almost, it's almost insane. How is it that you would complain when your parents ask you to do something? It's the flesh. It's what lost people do. Right? And if we're not careful, we as believers, we we fall in that trap. We're we're in the flesh. But we grumble, and when we grumble, we can't see things rightly. I mean, think about our lives. And some of us have, man, we we struggle and we've suffered and we've 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 ugh, had difficulty in life. We go through pain and hurt and but then really if we thinking about things rightly, we see, what have we been doing? what do we have that we haven't been given? Think about all the good gifts we have. Think about the provision. Most of us, very few of us are, are living day-to-day, week-to-week. We're, most of us are wealthy people. You say, well, I'm not wealthy. Yeah, compared to people in the world, you're, you're wealthy, I'm wealthy. We're all wealthy people. We have so much. But yet there's times where we're not thinking rightly about things. We think, well, the Lord, he should give me more, and I deserve more, and I deserve better. I mean, think about every day we need to preach this to ourselves. Everything above hell is a privilege. We need to preach that every day. James, everything above hell is a privilege, man. Everything above hell is a privilege. We deserve his worst. We don't deserve anything good. But yet God just pours out blessing and blessing and blessing. I was just thinking about this morning. It just got emotional. Man, we get to go to church today, you know? We get to be with our church family and just live in this incredible country, the greatest country in the world, and we have so wealthy and blessed. You know, it's just life's... It's, God's been so good to us. But yet, if we're not careful, we, our, we, our perception is wrong, our perspective is wrong, and so we grumble. Grumblers don't perceive things rightly. The second thing, grumbling is 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 a communicable disease. You know, we're in, in dealing with COVID, but grumbling uh, is really a communicable disease. Think about... If you're a grumbler, and it, first, it starts out, it, it says here that the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. Now, it didn't start out with the whole congregation. How many did it start out with? It started out with one. That's the way it works, isn't it? One person who's a grumbler and who's in the flesh and self absorbed and negative and And then what happens? Well, you listen out a little way, before, before you know it, you're, you're kind of riled up too. Isn't it terrible? And we do that sometimes. I do that. It's terrible. Grumbling, complain, and before you know it, you got everybody grumbling. I used to wait tables for a living when I was in seminary, and I loved it because I'm an extrovert and I just talk to people all the time. And you have an eight top, eight top, and uh, everything's wonderful. I, I worked at a really nice restaurant. The food was incredible, and I gave incredible service as well. And so this, this family of eight, they're having this dinner and I dropped the food off. How is everything? Da, 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 da. And all of a sudden this lady, she's not happy. My food's not cooked right. Okay, we'll make that right. And we took it back and we brought it back to her. Oh, it's not cooked back again. Everybody's having an incredible time. And they're all kind of looking at her like, all right, come on here. You know, I, I brought the food back several times. And then four, I'm hitting appetizers on the, you know, whatever they need, just trying to make this lady happy. And you know what? She wasn't having it. It didn't matter. Blake, what I did, it didn't matter how the food was cooked, she was going to be miserable. And guess what? You know, the bill's a couple hundred bucks. She's miserable. Before it's over with, they're all mad. They're all mad at me. They're all mad at everybody. They're all mad at each other. $200. I tell my manager, he comes by, talks to them. They walk out and leave. And guess what? I spent two and a half hours waiting on them hand and foot. Guess how much money they left me? Zero. Why? The grumbler—it's contagious. Everybody else is tickled, loving it. The disgruntled grumbler—all of a sudden, everybody's miserable, including me, right? But it's—it's it's contagious. We have to be really careful in the church, in our homes, at work. Grumbling is contagious. Also, grumbling is uh, is, is really a uh, faith failure. It's really faith failure. I mean, God had done so much for the Israelites, but they continued to lack faith. He had rescued them and been good to them, and they didn't trust him to meet their needs. Yeah, yeah, I get it. It's tough. No water, no food. But what has the Lord done for you? Is he not faithful? Is he not going to take care of you? Is he not always taking care of you? He's not giving you gift after gift after gift. They don't trust to meet their needs. And we know in New Testament text, right, Romans 8, 28, tells us, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And what does that verse mean for us? Paul writing this to the Roman believers. It means that everything that happens in life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, has been sifted through God's sovereign hand. Well, I don't know why this happened to me. I don't know why this is why I'm going through this. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. Well, all I can say is God is sovereign. If he's sovereign over one thing, he's sovereign over everything. And the Lord is allowing you to go through this. We don't know his ways are higher than our ways. We don't understand his ways. We're infinite in everything and he's, I mean, we're finite in everything and he's infinite in everything. But when we remember and we trust that whatever difficulties come our way, Are, are sifted through God's hand and he allows us to go through this, we, we, then we can lean into him, right? Knowing that all of these struggles are for our good. And I don't understand that and that's hard. We don't get it, but it's the Bible and it's the truth. We've made mention of the Lord. He's leading the Israelites through the desert. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. But yet, what do they do? He's leading the people, but yet, what, 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 they're they are having difficulty. And sometimes we think, well, if the Lord's with us, it's all going to be good. No more trouble. Man, we don't live in glory land, right? This is sin-filled world that we live in. But what we have to look forward to is glory where everything's made right and there's no more sin and there's no more sorrow and we're going to be with the Lord. But we as Christians, we, we struggle sometimes because the Lord is with us but we, we don't remember that and we lack faith. May the Lord give us increased faith to trust Him even in times of struggle. john six thirty three. we were promised you read the new testament jesus says in me you may have peace but in the world you'll have tribulation the lord says but take heart i've overcome the world and he has but that doesn't mean in this life that we don't have struggle we all will but these hebrews as soon as they run into difficulty their faith flees they can't see god for their struggles and these struggles cause them to have faith failure. The second thing we see in our text today is God is merciful and compassionate to such a faithless people. They keep complaining and grumbling, and what does the Lord do here? It's, it's amazing how the Lord meets their needs. And it, how does the Lord respond to their grumbling? If you, if you continue the story and you continue to read and you get to number 16, there's a couple of knuckleheads called Cor and Dathan and Abiram, And um, they complain against the Lord. They complain and they grumble. And and what happened to them? Do you remember? Anybody know the story? They were swallowed swallowed up by the ground. They were buried alive by the Lord, facing his judgment because they grumbled. You're like, whoa. Yeah, it's kind of one of those stories like, you read your kids, you know when your kids, yeah, you know what happened to them? They disobeyed the Lord. They complained a lot and the ground opened up and, they were swallowed up by the ground. You might ought to listen to your mom and daddy So, Yeah, that's a good text to read. You need to read that one regularly. But that's in, no- that's in number 16. But here in Exodus 15 and 16, we don't see that. It's like, it's just, they haven't gotten there yet, right? They're on this beginning pilgrimage. They're starting out. And I don't, we don't understand all the Lord's ways. But here, he didn't give them judgment. He doesn't. He doesn't give them judgment. He gives them grace. He turns the bitter water sweet, the end of chapter 15. And then he promises, what he does, he gives them a glimpse of his glory, right? He gives them a glimpse of his glory. He allows them to see his glory. And what is that all about? It's just reminding them of his presence. They're, they're seeing this Shekinah glory in the cloud. And just a reminded, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm here for you. And then what does he do? He he promises quail. In the evening, you're going to have quail. And that's what he gave them. And then he says, you're going to have manna. And this manna is incredible. He says he would rain bread from heaven on them. Verse 4, chapter 16. Verse 8, I'm going to give you bread to the full. They'll be filled with bread. Verse 12. Verse 16, They're going to gather every man as much as he should eat. Verse 18 and 21 again, as much as you want to eat, you can gather. And it's not just any bread. It says it's, it's, it characterizes it's like honey. Coriander seed and honey. Now, how wonderful was honey? Well, elsewhere, other things are described as tasting like honey. Psalm one eighteen, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And Psalm 119, again, referring to the, the law of God, the old covenant, 19 verse 10, they are sweeter than honey, the law is, than honey from the honeycomb. Now, we have bees, we have a couple of beehives, and we just harvested about two and a half gallons of honey, and it's really, really sweet, and it's really, really good. But I think for us, living in the land of heat and air, the land of prosperity, we think about honey, some of you don't even like honey. But for them, it was a delicacy. Scripture is is sweet like honey. I had a a man in, when I was overseas, uh, a man I spent most of my time with, about seven years of my life, I spent pouring into this man. And he uh, would often share stories about what it was like to live in communist China. And we were there eating dinner and we had bought some honey and we had honey on some biscuits. And he says, you know, he's in his mid-50s. He says, you know, I was in my 40s before I ever tasted honey. He said, you know, we were just poor and honey was like this delicacy. I was in his 40s before he ever tasted honey. And this manna tasted sweet and it must have been nutritionally sufficient because he fed it to them for 40 years. I'm not sure. I don't think that's all they ate because we see elsewhere where they're, they're offering sacrifices, burnt offerings. But that's what they ate. I, I, I liken it to, to maybe uh, a nursing child, and that milk from their mother is, is so um, sufficient for their nutritional needs. I see that's probably what's happening here with this manna. But the manna was to be gathered daily, and they shouldn't hoard it. And, and Chase read the text for us. You shouldn't hoard it. In fact, if you did hoard it and you, you gather too much, you're trying to hoard it and keep it and get more and more and more, what would happen? Overnight, it would rot and there'd be worms in it. It would stink. So God would make that stuff rot like that. On the sixth day, which was Friday for them, they would gather twice as much because they didn't gather any on the Sabbath. And in fact, someone went out on the Sabbath to try to gather, well, there's none there. Knucklehead, I said gather twice as much on Friday. There's no gathering on Sunday. And it's amazing, the the food they gathered on Friday never rotted it never spoiled. Why? Because the Lord's doing miracles. He's providing for His people. He's being gracious and merciful. These miraculous things that occurred, the water turn the bitter water turned sweet the quail provided the manna left each morning were done by the lord for his people and he had them take this a bit of this manna and put in a jar and keep it and it was the reason they kept it and that that bread never rotted or never spoiled and what was it it was a reminder for generations to come of how god had been good and gracious to his people so you see this faith failure of his people and you see god not giving them what they deserve, but being so merciful and gracious, providing all of these things for his people. And then thirdly, we see him being good to his people so that they will know that he is the Lord. In chapter six, verse 12, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. This, 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 then you should know that I'm Lord. It occurs like 14 times in the first half of the book of Exodus. God's purpose in being gracious to His people and rescuing His people and providing for His people is that so they would know that He is God and He alone is God and, and He is exalted on the earth. And we see this over and over again in, in chapter 6, verse 7, chapter 7, verse 5, chapter 7, verse 17, and it's over and over and over again. All these things the Lord's doing for his people so they'll know he's God. And and we know that the Egyptians knew that he was God, right? The judgments, the plagues, the Red Sea, he did those things so the Egyptians would know that he is God. And they did. By the time it was over, they're like, please, get out of here. Take all the money. Take everything you want. Just get out of here because your God's too much for us. But he's doing this for this provision for the Israelites so they'll know that he is God. As we go through our struggles, we can grumble and complain or we can look to God, draw near to him for our satisfaction. See, the difficulties the Israelites went through wasn't necessary for their salvation, but it was necessary for their sanctification. God was trying to make them more like him, make them depend on him. And so we we talked about the experience of of Israel living in slavery, trusting in the Lamb, crossing from death to life, singing the song of salvation, going on this long pilgrimage of sanctification in the wilderness, living by the law of God and, and, and going into the promise. These are all experiences of his people. But it's also experiences of his church. Think about that for a moment. We lived in slavery, didn't we? We were enslaved to sin at enmity with God. And we trusted in the Lamb, the Passover Lamb, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And we, when we trusted Him, we repented and trusted Christ's work on the cross. When we trusted in His resurrection for us, what happened? We passed over from death to life, and we sing a song of salvation, don't we? As we give praise and thanks for all He's done for us. And we're on this pilgrimage as well, aren't we? Called sanctification, and it's painful, and it's difficult, and it's hard, but it's wonderful at the same time, as we're being made in Christ's image, and we are living by God's standard, trying to obey His law, trying to please Him in every way, and then one day we're going to reach the promised land. We're going to be in glory with the Lord. So we liken the the the, the trip of the Israelites to our own walk as New Covenant believers, and and we can ask. Again, how does this text point us to Christ? And we always do that. We're in the Old Covenant, but how does this point us to Christ? How do we get to the gospel from here? Well, look at John chapter 6, and we're going to close here in just a moment. John chapter 6. Turn there with me if you would. I think it'll be helpful if you look at the text. John chapter 6, verse 31. All of these things in the Old Covenant. We, we, we have to have the Old Covenant. We have to have the law. You say, well, I'm just a New Covenant Christian. No, you're not. You, you live under the New Covenant, but you've got to have the law. <laughs> you've got to have the law. But what does the law do? It points us to Jesus. John chapter 6, Jesus has just fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And the people are excited. They ate this fish and they ate this bread. And they say there in John chapter 6, verse 31 Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And they want a sign. Previously, they just mentioned, Oh, we want a sign from you. Hey, he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. That's a sign. That's a sign. He's like, we want more signs. We want another sign. And we want bread. We want this manna from heaven. We want the bread that you just fed us. It was wonderful. We want more of it. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And what does Jesus say in verse 35? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Notice his claim. Jesus says, whoever comes to me will not hunger or thirst. Those who trust in him will be satisfied. Even though they go through dark times and hard times, they can be satisfied in Christ. And what happens as we go through hard times and we lean into the Lord and we see all of our trouble being sifted through his hand, knowing God, this is your sovereign, you're in control, you're allowing me to go through this for a reason. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to, to respond? How do you want me to, to um, what do you want me to do? And, and what happens as we lean into the Lord and we trust him in those hard times, what happens? It's like God did for the Israelites. They were able to see his glory, Right? glimpse of his glory and that's what happened to us we're able to grow in our in our faith grow in our trust grow in our understanding of who he is and how good he is for us we're able to see a little bit of his glory look at verse 48 of john chapter 6 jesus says i'm the bread of life your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. The Israelites were given manna in the the wilderness. They were hungry and God fed them. Jesus says all those people died. Physically they died. But Jesus says, I want to satisfy you, not just physically. I want to satisfy you spiritually. I'm the bread from heaven. He who partakes of my flesh, eats of my flesh, those who trust in Christ, his work on the cross, his resurrection, will be satisfied. You'll never thirst and you'll never hunger. Have you ate from the bread of life? Can you say that you're participating in the work of God, ministry of the Spirit? Have you ever trusted Christ? If you've never repented from your sin and turned from it, you've never yielded to the Lord and asked for forgiveness, told the Lord you wanted to follow Him and be obedient to Him and live for Him, If you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that. By way of application today, that's the first thing we need to do. If you're lost, you need to repent and trust Christ. Jesus died, he lived, and he died so that sinners can know the Father. Then well, how do I know if the Lord died for me? If you repent, you can know that he died for you. Repent and receive the bread of life. The result will be you'll have eternal life and you'll never spiritually die. And that when you breathe your last, you'll be with Him forever, for all eternity. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done on your behalf. Second thing we need to do by way of application is we need to repent from grumbling. Don't grumble, Philippians 2.14. Paul tells the Philippian church, do everything without complaining or arguing. Don't grumble, don't complain. God, he takes grumbling and complaining personally. He hates it. We need to repent of it. This week, we need to watch our attitude, the things we say at work, at home. Don't grumble. Maybe also you're needed to be reminded of God's presence. I want to encourage you to read his word as God gave them a glimpse of his glory. They were able to see that Shekinah glory in the cloud. He wants to remind us of his presence in our lives and how do we do that? It's not some mystical experience. It's through reading of his word. That's how he communicates to us primarily through his inerrant, infallible word. We'll encourage you to read the scriptures. But yeah, I just... I don't feel close to the Lord. Well, I encourage you, how how much have you read the Scriptures? Let's read the Scriptures this week. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we are thankful for your Word and for the example given to us in the Old Testament, how you were so gracious and merciful to the Israelites. Even though they grumbled and complained, you were merciful to them and given them all these good gifts manna water quail and father we confess that we're grumblers and although we live in the new covenant those of us who are believers we have the spirit living in us yet we are so easily distracted we get into the flesh and we grumble and we complain and it is contagious and we all confess that today help us to be like you help us to see things rightly and Help us to be thankful for all you've done for us, knowing that everything above hell is a privilege for us. Father, for those that are here that are yet to repent, maybe they're children, maybe they're students, maybe they're adults, they've yet to be broken over their sin, they've yet to yield to you in submission. They've yet to trust Christ's work on the cross as their own. I pray that you would, open up their spiritual ears and spiritual eyes to see their need and your wonder. And may they cry out to you today. Father, may we be studiers of your word. May, they, may we see you in your scriptures and may we be encouraged knowing that you are with us, wanting to help us. And Lord, we do need help. We have families that are mourning and grieving and where we have some who are sick, we ask that you would be gracious to all these families this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for tuning in to our Sunday morning services at Beaver Baptist Church. We are currently studying the book of Exodus. If you have any questions about today's message or would like more information about our church, call us at 901-837-2904. You can also visit our website at beaverbaptist.com.